Merry Christmas. It's that time of year, isn't it, where we're celebrating Jesus, and uh, since it's that time of year, it means we need a good old-fashioned Christmas sermon that's going to lift our spirits, you know, positive and encouraging, and so I want you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 102, if you would. Psalm chapter 102 says this, hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. I am like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me. All those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. I notice as I get older and older, Christmas is less and less magical. I have more responsibilities, I have more to pay for at Christmas, and so there's a little bit of the magic that gets taken away. The time off isn't as long as when I was a kid. The additional fun comes with additional costs. Not only that, but there's the recognition that things don't change just because we celebrated Christmas or have a New Year's celebration. But don't get me wrong, I still love Christmas, I look forward to Christmas, I still want it to be magical, but there's just a lot more of life that seems to get in the way now that I'm aware of more of what goes on in the world and more has taken place in my own life. It makes it all seem just a bit less thrilling. Life feels a little bit more like Psalm 102 describes it, days quickly passing elusively like smoke not only is Christmas here and gone before you know it, but the way we celebrate it changes. Our lives change. People around us change. And we experience a lot of disappointment and loss that sometimes this season only serves to highlight. We may even wonder if life has passed us by, so to speak. It's not that we've given up hope or that we live in despair, but sometimes the circumstances and pains of life can confuse us so that we may wonder why God's doing what he's doing. We may even wonder, like the psalmist did, if God is angry at us for some reason. Perhaps you've even wondered if there's something you need to do to try and calm God's anger against you. Again, it's not that you've given up on God. You're just confused about why life is so hard. You may even pour your hope into what God will do in the future, but the only way you know to do that is by hoping for the next generation. The author of Psalm 102 did that. If you look at verses 25 to 28, he says, Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. But you are the same, and your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. So he's hopeful but not really for his own life. Hopefully my kids, my grandkids will know something better than I do right now. And we do this at Christmas, don't we? We say Christmas is for the children, it's for the kids. We want to try and experience the joy of that holiday vicariously through them if we can. And perhaps we think that God has passed us by or that for some reason he does not delight in us. 
and we hope that he will bless our families, he'll bless our nieces, our nephews, our children, but we don't feel that blessing ourselves. But concerning our own lives, we, we might think, he has broken my strength mid-course. He has shortened my days, Psalm 102, 23. But this is exactly why we need Christmas. Not just the external celebration of Christmas, but the regular reminder of what it means. I need at least a four-week period every year where I am constantly reminded of the incarnation. You can keep all I want for Christmas is you. I need a regular reminder that the one about whom Psalm 102.27 declares you are the same and your years have no end entered the world as a human being, being subject to the temptation and the loss and the disappointment and the loneliness and the death that we all experience. The appeal of baby please come home wears off rather quickly but you give me hark the herald and remind me that veiled in flesh the Godhead see hail the incarnate deity pleased as man with men to dwell Jesus our Emmanuel and that can stir my soul to joy and to perseverance. You can keep your happy Xmas and the delusions of John Lennon that there could be peace on earth without the intervention of God Almighty but I want the Prince of peace as we sing about in O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, O Come, O King of Nations, bind uh, in one the hearts of all mankind, bid all our sad divisions cease, and be yourself our King of peace. And while Christmas loses some of the mystique of childhood as we grow older, the incarnation does not lose the power to lift our spirits and to raise our hopes. And in that sense, Psalm 103 is a bit like Christmas. Whoever put the Psalms in the order that they did must have been aware that the truth and the loneliness and the pain expressed in Psalm 102 needs to be followed with the hope of Psalm 103. You're probably familiar with it. It starts like this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. This psalm reminds us that God's blessings aren't just for others. They're not just for other people, neither are they just for future generations, but that God has blessed us. It doesn't deny the difficulty, it doesn't deny the loss, the pain, the confusion that we experience, but it does remind us of the goodness of God. And David based this psalm on his own experiences. But he also seems to be thinking of what God had done for Israel, especially when he brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He speaks of the many benefits that God had provided. And as I was reading these benefits a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't help but think, if David only knew, if he only knew, if he only knew what you get to know, if he had only known what you know as a believer in Jesus and a reader of the New Testament, if he had only known, I can't imagine what kind of words he would have filled this page with. David was filled with thanksgiving and joy because of God's promises and his blessings and his love. He sounds genuinely excited as he remembers God's goodness. But you know what? David didn't know half of what you know about the goodness of God. He didn't know half of what you have the privilege of knowing as you sit there this morning about what God would do to redeem people. I think he wrote prophetically. I think he looked forward to what God would do, but without the full awareness of how he was going to do it. But we 
have the privilege of knowing how God has done it through his work in Jesus. We have even greater reason to rejoice. We have even more reason to bless the Lord. We should be totally committed to God with everything in us, even in times of sorrow, because Jesus has come. David could look forward longingly to Emmanuel. We get to experience Emmanuel, God with us. We have a greater assurance than David did and a deeper knowledge of the mystery of God. We have a fuller knowledge of God's loving kindness that never fails. And so even if this year has been difficult, and even if the celebration of Christmas will bring with it painful memories of loss and disappointment, And even if you're not as far along in your life or in maturity as you would like to be, or even if your life is filled with difficulty and confusion and pain, and even if you have felt recently that anxiety threatens to tear you apart, I want to tell you today that you should bless the Lord with everything in you because of what Jesus has done. The first reason to bless the Lord with everything in you is that you've received forgiveness. Psalm 102, 9 to 10 says, For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink because of your indignation and anger. For you have taken me up and you have thrown me down. God is right to be angry at our sin and how we turn away from him in rebellion and evil in our intentions, in our thoughts, and in our actions. But Psalm 103, verse 3 says that he forgives all your iniquity. Verse 10 says, he does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. That's wonderful news. But if David had only known what Jesus would do, if David only knew what you know, Isaiah's prophecy about the Messiah had not yet been given, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. David certainly didn't know that God had sent his own son to bear the weight of his wrath against our sin and be the sacrifice for our forgiveness. As the Apostle Paul says, we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. Listen, David may have experienced God passing over his sins, but he did not know in this life the wonderful freedom of knowing that your sin is gone because God's own son died to pay the price for it. Christian, you will certainly go through difficulty and disappointment and pain and no external celebration can erase that. But bless the Lord. He has forgiven all your iniquity at the cost of the blood of his own son, Emmanuel, God with us. And not only have you been forgiven, but you should bless the Lord with everything you have because you have a healing guarantee. Psalm 103 verse 3 says that God heals all your diseases. David knew that God was the healer, but if he only knew, if he only knew how much further Jesus would take that. The end of Isaiah 53, 5, we read just a moment ago, says that with his wounds, we are healed. 
One of the primary points of Jesus' ministry was an emphasis on healing. This was to demonstrate God's mercy and the fulfillment of prophecy and the goal of his ministry, complete, total salvation. And that healing is still available today. God still heals the sick, both the sick in heart and the sick in body. He doesn't always do it exactly as we would like, does he? It's not on our timetable, it's not according to our understanding. Sometimes we pray and we don't experience healing. I don't know why, except that it's not God's will for a reason that maybe he has not chosen to reveal right now. But God does still heal, and we should bless him for that. And more than that, we know that because Jesus took our flesh, that at the resurrection, we will be like him. We will be raised imperishable. There will be no more sickness, no more pain, and God will wipe every tear from your eye. David knew that God was the healer, but he didn't know what you knew, that God has sent his son into a sick world to bear that sickness on the cross so that we could be healed completely and forever. Bless the Lord. And that ultimate healing leads us to what David says in verse 4 who redeems your life from the pit. Now the pit can refer to a trap, a dungeon, a prison, or it can refer to the grave. And David was thanking God for rescuing him from a multitude of deadly situations in which people wanted to do him harm or to kill him. God rescued him from deadly circumstances on many occasions. I mean, think of when he fought Goliath or when Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear or when Saul had him cornered in the city of Calah and God delivered him or when he fled to the Philistines and had to act like a madman but God delivered him out of that or when his own men wanted to kill him after their their village had been raided and their wives and children captured by the Amalekites or when his own son Absalom uh, betrayed him and attempted a coup. All of these could be described as pits. They were life and death situations and God rescued David out of them. But if he only knew what God would do. Not only is God capable of preserving your life from threats right now, but because Jesus became flesh and he died and was raised, you have the assurance that God will rescue you out of the most literal pit, out of the grave, not just preserving you from death, but bringing you back from it. And, and he won't just bring you back, he will resurrect you to be with and to be like Christ, the author of Hebrews says it this way, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. God redeemed David from deadly situations and David looked forward prophetically like he was looking through a fog and hoped for the resurrection. We see this in verses 15 to 18. He says, as for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field for the wind passes over it and it is gone and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. 
It's like David was grasping at the doctrine, at the idea of the resurrection. He was hoping for it, and through the Spirit, he was feeling his way toward it. It's hard to know exactly what David thought would happen when he died. He still brings up future generations as if he thinks his hope for the future lies only in them. But what he believed would happen to him when he died is hard to nail down. We do know that he had he didn't have the same understanding or the same assurance that we do. Because Jesus has now come in the flesh and he has died and he has been resurrected. We not only rejoice because God can deliver us from trouble in this life, we not only rejoice because God is able to bless future generations, we rejoice because he has given us hope that removes the power and the fear of death itself through the promise of the resurrection and the proof of Jesus' own resurrection from the dead. I wonder what kind of song David would have sung if he had known what we know, that death's victory has been destroyed. I wonder how he would exhort us if he stood before us today. Bless the Lord with everything in you, he might say. I looked forward with faith and hope for what God could do. You look with assurance at the resurrected Christ. He has redeemed your life from the pit. He's redeemed your life from the pit past, present, and future. He's removed from you the very fear of death through the assurance of the Spirit who dwells in you and cries out within you, Abba, Father. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, surely he'll give life to your mortal bodies. And when Jesus returns, he will raise you up from the dead. Bless him with everything you've got. Praise him with all of your strength that you can muster. Let everything within you exalt the Lord. The second half of verse four states that he crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Verses eight and nine remind us the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. You have a crown of love and mercy. If David had only known, God had been faithful in the past and, and patient with Israel and with David himself. David knew God's steadfast love and faithfulness. God had been with David since he was a boy tending sheep in the fields. God had not abandoned him in the moments of David's own weakness. He had showed him mercy even when David had sinned. David wore the crown of a king and he recognized that it was because of God's steadfast love and mercy. And like the crown that encircled his head, God's love had encircled David's life. He didn't know what you know though. He didn't know what Jesus had done. David didn't know that God would send his son and that his love would be demonstrated not with a crown of gold, but with a crown of thorns. He didn't know that God loved his people so much that Jesus would wear that painful crown and be nailed to a cross and die for the sins of our lives so that we, our hearts, our heads, our lives could be encircled with his love and with his mercy like David's head was encircled with gold. He didn't know that God would send his only son in the flesh so that we could know love and mercy like David didn't even dare to dream 
that someone could know it. He didn't know that being crowned with love and mercy would mean that we could become children of God. As 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love he has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. David might have worn a crown of gold, but Jesus wore a crown of thorns so that today you could sit with confidence knowing he surrounds me with his steadfast love and his mercy you ought to bless the Lord with everything you've got because he's encircled your life with his steadfast love and mercy and you have an assurance David could only look forward to and dream about the death of God's own son on the cross and his resurrection to new life and promise that you will reign with him. Not only this, but you should bless the Lord with everything in you because he renews you. Psalm 103 verse 5 says, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Perhaps your life is filled with difficulty and it's filled with pain, but there is renewal in Jesus. Of course, we have the hope of the resurrection that we spoke about just a moment ago. We have the assurance of and the experience of his love that crowns us and makes us his children, but Christ also strengthens us in the midst of the present difficulties and empowers us to live for God. uh, Philippians chapter four, verse 13, reminds us that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. God strengthens us by satisfying our needs in Christ and teaching us contentment in him. And of course, this would all seem like a farce if God was just distant and these were merely words What assurance would we have of his promise to strengthen and satisfy us if all they were were words? But we have more than words. We have the word made flesh who said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And we can believe him when he says this because as we already read from Isaiah 53, he himself bore our griefs and carried our sorrows if David only knew what Jesus would do. Bless the Lord with everything in you because you have assurance of his justice. In many ways, the world is cold and cruel. And for all the grown-up Christmas wishes, war hasn't ended. We're reminded of that with the invasion of Ukraine this year, but if you've been paying attention in your life much at all, you'll know that war never really stopped. It's not as if Putin was doing something new. War is ongoing. It's been ongoing. It's ongoing in multiple places around our world right now. His is another war in the long chain of ongoing conflicts. And if Christmas is just a wistful wish for war to stop because people suddenly become good, I think it's hopeless. I think atheists like John Lennon need, and I bring him up because his is the one where he sings about war is over and you know, so happy Xmas or whatever. And if, if, if you're like that, if, if you find yourself wishing for war to be over and your hope is in people, I think you need more faith than I do. I think the history of the world bears that out. I think you need more faith that war will end because people suddenly have an enlightenment or a realization or a philosophical or technological revolution than I do to believe that God is going to end war because he's gonna send his son Jesus back. And God has ensured justice for the oppressed. Mary, the mother of Jesus, recognized this in how God sent Jesus. She said, 
And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. Because Jesus was born among the lowly, ordinary people and lived a life subject to the ordinary injustices of our lives, we're assured that his death and resurrection cover injustice and will redeem us from it. If David only knew, David was a king. He built a castle. He sat on a physical throne in Jerusalem. He himself took advantage of that power and he himself used his power to commit injustice. And yet because of God's great mercy, he sent Jesus, the son of David, the son of God, to undo all injustice and assure us that God will lift the weak and the poor and will right every wrong. Don't put your hope in peace that comes through men. Put your hope in peace and justice that comes only through God's son, Jesus, the prince of peace. Bless the Lord with everything in you because you're growing in knowledge of his vast love. We've already seen that verses eight and nine remind us of God's love and mercy and verse 10 of his forgiveness. And while we have seen God's love, verses 11 and 12 put the, expanses, the expansiveness of God's love so beautifully. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. How high are the heavens above the earth? How far is the east from the west? What beautiful imagery to meditate on and rest in God's love. I can't help but think of Paul's prayer in Ephesians chapter three, verses 17 to 19, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. David knew God's love was immeasurable, but you know it better because of Christ. You know that you are forever growing in that love and that somehow God has done what could hardly be thought possible and is filling you with the fullness of himself. What container is large enough to fit the east from the west? What will hold a love that is as high as the heavens are above the earth? I'm not nearly big enough to hold that kind of love, but we have been united together with Christ so that through him we experience the love of the Father and we grow in his love in the fullness of Christ's presence. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. You should bless the Lord with everything in you because you experience the compassion of the Father. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Psalm 103, 13 to 14. If David had only known how God remembered that we are but dust, had David only known that God would send his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to become sin for us, that he would become like us, that he would take up our dust in himself so that we could hope and one day know that we will be more than dust. Had David only known how much would his heart have rejoiced, how much greater would his commitment have been if he had known what you know 
about the steadfast love of God. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16 says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive help and mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. We have so much more confidence than was available to David because we know that our great high priest does not serve in a temple. David wished he could build the temple. We have a high priest that serves not in a temple made with human hands, but a high priest who has entered into the eternal temple, the temple that is in heaven and sits at the right hand of God, ever making intercession for us. And so we know we can approach with a confidence that David would dare not have approached. He would not have entered into the very heart of the temple temple. He wouldn't have gone even into the heart of the, of the tent he had set up as a tent of meeting to house the Ark of the Covenant. But you and I, with unveiled face, get to behold the glory of God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. If only David had known. If only David had known how much more would he have said, bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that's within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And Jesus' presence as high priest in heaven brings us to the final reason from this psalm that we should bless the Lord with everything in us. You live under Jesus' authority. Not only is Jesus the great high priest, he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. David wrote, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. If only David knew what Jesus would do. Not only does God reign over all kingdoms? But the scripture promises that he is uniting everything together in his son Jesus. Jesus sits enthroned over all kingdoms, physical and spiritual, as the perfect, compassionate, just, merciful, righteous king. The apostle Paul prayed that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. When the wise men came looking for Jesus, they did not find the king in Jerusalem with Herod or the rulers of, Jerusalem, or the rulers of Israel. They found him in Bethlehem. And when Jesus was crowned, it was not in a throne room with gold, but with the thorns on a cross. And this gives us the assurance that he reigns in love and he reigns in justice. But his mercy does not negate that he reigns. And that's a good thing. He reigns with all power and authority. And in Ephesians, Paul said that his power at work in the uh, his power at work in the lives of believers is immeasurable. So we do not need to fear the authorities of this earth any more than Jesus did when he stood before them. We should be concerned for people's salvation, but we do not have the spirit of fear for the reprisals of a culture that's in rebellion against Jesus. We should not withhold worship we should not transfer our loyalty from Jesus to the popular doctrines of our age 
or the, the doctrines that teach people to deny God with their money or in their thoughts or in their sexuality or in their biology. Instead, we can live with confidence that our king reigns over all, no matter what anyone says, and so we can bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Psalm 103 ends like this, bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of of his word, bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will, bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. If David had only known that the night Jesus was born, the angels would declare the glory of God to shepherds, shepherds like him when he was young. If David only knew that a star would appear in the sky and the works of God would, de- would, would be declared, would declare the birth of the Savior to, to people far away. If he only knew that wise men would travel from great distances to recognize the dominion of the one and only King Jesus, how much more would his soul have blessed the Lord? How much more should our souls bless the Lord? Because we know what David did not know. We know that Jesus has come in the flesh. We know that he was meek and lowly so that we can identify with him. We know that he was crucified for our sins and that God raised him from the dead. We know that he has ascended into heaven where he sits enthroned at God's right hand and he is king over all, but he's also our high priest and lives to make intercession for us. And we know he's coming again to judge the world in righteousness. How much more should we give all that we are to God? How much more should we worship unencumbered by the fears of life? How much more should all that is within us bless God's holy name? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, you should bless the Lord with everything in you because you have received forgiveness. You have a healing guarantee. You're redeemed from the pit. You have a crown of love and of mercy. You are renewed. You have an assurance of his justice. You're growing in the knowledge of his love. You experience the compassion of the Father and you live under his authority. And what David knew about these things cannot even begin to touch what you know about them because of Jesus and the Spirit of God who dwells in you. How much more ought you to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. We're going to do that this morning. I'm going to ask our worship team to come, and we're going we're to spend a moment more in worship. But before we do that, I want to ask if you'd close your eyes for just a moment. This morning, I've told you about the benefits of Jesus, and those benefits are available to you. And Jesus is not a respecter of persons. Jesus does not offer them to the high and the lofty, to those who are powerful or rich. He doesn't offer them even just to the good. He offers them to all if you will trust him, if you will put your faith in him. You see, most people today are filled with faith. They have all kinds of faith. They're filled with faith in technology. They're filled with faith in government. They're filled with faith in the experts or in science. They're filled with faith in all kinds of things. They don't realize it. They don't call it faith. They, they call it something else. But in the end, it's faith. It's belief that somebody hopefully is telling them what's true because you can't possibly hope to know everything yourself. And so you're filled with some kind of faith, something that you hope will save you, something that you hope will bring meaning to your life, something that you hope will 
bring purpose and value to your life. And whatever it is you put your faith in, that's what you worship. But the Bible tells us this, and what God sent Jesus to reveal is this, that there's only one thing, only one person who deserves that worship, and that is God. And he sent his son Jesus to reveal himself to you and also to pay the price for your sin, for all the rebellion that you've ever committed, for all the other things that you've ever worshipped, for everything else that you've ever entrusted your life and your soul to. God sent Jesus so that he would die for your sin and through him you could die to sin. And he raised Jesus from the dead on the third day so that through Jesus you could have new life in him. And so Jesus said, if you want to know salvation, if you want to know forgiveness, if you want peace, if you want to know purpose and meaning for your life, there's only one way and one person. There's only one name and that's Jesus. He's the way. He's the truth. He's the life. No one comes to God except through Him. And no one's life is fulfilled. Your purpose isn't fulfilled. And real peace is not known except through Jesus. So whatever you've been putting your faith in today, if it's called anything other than Jesus, I want to ask you this. I want to ask you this. Will you trust Jesus with your life today? Whatever you've been putting your faith in will fail you if it hasn't already. But Jesus will not fail you. That's a guarantee because he already died for your sin and God raised him from the dead. And his promise to you is this, that you will have eternal life with him if you will trust him with your soul. If you will bless the Lord with all your soul and with everything in you, you'll bless his name. If you'll confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. That means you'll know all the benefits that we talked about today. Eternal life, forgiveness, salvation, freedom. Those things will be yours in Jesus. If you don't have a relationship with God through Jesus this morning, before we move on, I want to give the opportunity for you to put your faith in the only person who deserves it in Jesus. If you don't have that relationship with God through Jesus and you want to confess your sin and that he's Lord today and put your faith in him for salvation, would you just do this simple thing so that I can pray with you? Would you just lift up your hand? Is there anyone like that? You don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. You don't know the benefit, the blessing of knowing that your sin is forgiven, that you're right with God, that he loves you and is for you, that his compassion is on you like a father toward his children, that he won't leave or forsake. If you don't know that you have eternal life this morning and you want to know that through faith in Jesus, would you just lift up your hand? Anybody like that today? I'm going to wait for just a moment. If you're watching online and you've joined us there and you want to respond, please text the word HOPE to 413-360-61. We'll respond and we'd love to pray with you as well. But if there's anybody like that here in the building today, you don't have a relationship with God through faith in Christ and you want to know that today, just lift up your hand so I can pray with you. Anybody like that? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? I'm going to pray if you lifted your hand. Pray this prayer along with me. If you are responding online, pray with me there. And just make this prayer your prayer. It's not the words. I don't know the right words. That's got nothing to do with it. It's just an expression of your plea to God for forgiveness and your confession that you believe in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you. I confess that I've put faith in other things, but not in Jesus. I confess that I've sinned against you by worshiping and serving other things. Today, Lord, I recognize that you're the only way. And so I come and I ask that you'd forgive me. I believe in Jesus. I believe that you sent him to die for my sin. And I believe that you raised him from the dead. And today I want to be saved. I want to know the way of real life. I want to know the truth, Lord. 
And I pray that today you do the work in my heart of redeeming me, of changing me, of restoring me, of making me new. I believe in you today, and I'm going to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer in just a moment, when we ask others to respond, there'll be some folks here we would love to pray with you to help you understand what do you do next, where do you go from here to follow Jesus. I'm going to ask of our pastors, our deacons, our deaconesses, if you'd, if you'd be willing to just come forward right now and, and stand and prepare to pray with people. If you're one of our prayer partners, you can come as well. And as we begin to sing, we're going to worship the Lord, and I want to encourage you as a congregation to just bless the Lord with all that's in you. Bless His holy name. Sing praise to Him. Remember all the goodness of God. But for you in this season, maybe there is a difficulty, there's a pain, there's a sorrow, there's been a loss of a loved one, maybe there's confusion, maybe there's fear in your life, there's anxiety, and you haven't known what to do with it, but today you want somebody to pray with you and just believe God's promises for you. These are the promises of God. You just want somebody to believe God with you for the things that he said he was going to do and to believe that you're going to experience the peace that passes understanding, the joy in spite of the sorrows of life, the grace of Jesus filling this season, the hope that he brings in spite of loss, the strength that he gives instead of anxiety and fear. If you need that in your life because of loss or pain or confusion, come and let us pray with you. We would love to believe God's promises with you and for you. Would you stand with me and let's begin with the worship team to worship the Lord and bless him with all that's within us. Would you lift up your voice even now and just begin to bless the Lord. Lord, we bless your name. Lord Jesus, we worship you with all that's within us. We sing your praise. We love you, Jesus. There's no one like you. We get to know you like David never dreamed. We get to know the purposes of God, the promises of God. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We praise your name. Keep praising him, church. Keep lifting up the name of Jesus. He deserves that worship. Bless the Lord with all that's within you. And if you have a need or a loss or pain in your life, come and let's pray together and believe God for healing.